Welcome to DJ Grandpa's Crib, the podcast of Kickstarter, the crowdfunding website. Each week I interview real people with honest dreams. Today is Monday, May 6, 2013. On this day in history, Sigmund Freud was born. Happy birthday, dude. My name is Joseph Fletcher, and this is my testimony to the healing powers of the American South. I came here to forget a girl and this land in all its faded glory became a fitting backdrop to my broken heart. I started shopping in thrift stores and began discovering discarded amateur-made vinyl recordings whose faded covers and scratched-up grooves struck a chord in me. Hello, how are you, Joseph? Ah, fantastic. Hi, Grandpa. Now, where are you? I, I couldn't exactly... Is it Spain or is it London? No, I'm in Spain at the moment. Oh, okay. The fortune or the misfortune, depending on whether you like uh, the sun or not, of living there. I'm not really a sun person, so... Okay. Yeah. Well, sadly, I live in Spain. <laughs> well, people, they talk about evolution. Science has got it all figured out. They're trying to tell me that we're part monkey. They say there is no doubt. Well, I'd like to welcome everybody back. And we're talking to Joe Fletcher. He's a documentary filmmaker out of Spain. And he's doing the buddy cop thing with Bedlam Productions out of London. They're producing, well, it seems to be a documentary about one man's journey, one man's heartbreak. It starts in the UK and somehow goes all throughout the South. And Joe's the only one, they say, who can make this film. So why don't you tell us about it, Joe? What's, what's, the, what's it all about? The reason, I guess, that I'm the only person that can make this film is it's a personal story. We're going back maybe 12 years here. But uh, I was living in England and uh, I was in a relationship, which uh, sadly at the time ended. And I was kind of distraught and heartbroken. And I bought a ticket and I just moved to the south one day and I bought a car and I just started driving around, kind of lost. And in my lost and disorientated state, I, I started to buy records, which had always been a passion of mine. But um, right. particularly I was buying records who were made by amateur musicians. And something about uh, the records just inspired me one day to start looking these musicians up. And uh, so I started knocking on various doors and meeting these musicians. And so the documentary is, is really the story about them. And through them, I kind of tell my own story. Get on board. Get on board. Get on board. There's room for many more. How big is your record collection, man? I got to know that. That's personal. Now we get down to the nitty-gritty. That's right. Well, it's, uh, it's, I've probably got about five or 6,000 records. From my time in the South, about 2,500. So Spain, London, and then the United States South. I guess the decision was made because the South, to me, is, if you look at America like a body, it's kind of the neglected falling apart part so it was it was a broken heart for me oh representation yeah. i get it now you said something you either learn fast or sink deep in the south which did you do 
I sank for quite a long period, but eventually I, I figured out how to stop sinking and uh, rose above it. Thank God, because I'm here today to tell the story. The trailer that you have on Kickstarter is very nice. Man, you're an excellent filmmaker. Thank you very much. Yeah. It's a work of passion, I guess. It comes deep from my heart. When a project's uh, based on something that's so personal, I think, you know, it, uh, it gives it an extra element and um, it's soulful, I guess. <laughs> yeah, um, I'm not trying to be flip even though I'm always flipping. I'm not trying to be <laughs> rude, even though I'm always rude. But okay. dude, you were depressed, man. You were really depressed on that film, man. I'm glad it came across like that. Yeah, I was, I mean, the, the film is revisiting. So uh, when I started making the film, I was, uh, I was in a much better place. But um, the film, you know, tells the story of a, a very depressed period in my life. I think depression is, a, is uh, an important subject to cover, but, you know, at the end of it, there's, uh, there's light and there's love. Do you think you'll ever return to the South? Yes, I love the South. I've, I've been back a few times since, and, uh, yeah, it's an amazing place. And I'd encourage anyone to, uh, to make a journey there. I know in, in America there's a bit of a stigma attached to the South, I think if people have a personal experience of going there, they'll see it as being a, a very different geography from what they assume it to be. You went throughout the South. You have this kind of torch song thing going. You're on this vision quest. You say something to the effect that part of success is the high price of failure. What did you think about these musicians, like, present day, you know, after they've been through this whole process? The amazing thing about the South and the musicians that I was meeting is everyone, everyone has had tragedy really touch their lives in quite extreme ways. And for me, it really put my, uh, I guess, my depression and my sense of the tragedy that had befallen me into perspective. You know, what they taught me was that, you know, success can be something from within and something smaller and personal. But as a whole, what they taught me is that, you know, you have to look within yourself for success. And if you do that, it's, it's much easier to attain. Have you found any soulmates along this journey of yours? Every one of the musicians who's uh, included in the film is, um, has taken a piece of my heart and helped heal a part of my heart and also uh, given a huge amount to me. Now, did you ever find the girl or... Were you given a second chance at life somehow? I'm now and have been for quite a while uh, very happily together with a girl. So yeah, I've definitely been given a second chance. And for me, that healing process and the, the idea that when your heart is broken, coming to realize that you know you can start again, I'm thankful to the South for giving me that sense of, uh, I guess, resurrection. So you went in a broken man and you came out somehow born again patched up yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> all right all right well joe fletcher I, I mean i wish you the best and it sounds like you're on the road to recovery and yeah absolutely thank yeah. you so much and no problem thanks for coming on the show you're so welcome and listen good luck with the show and uh keep on doing what you're doing it sounds great Up next, it's my pleasure to welcome a returning guest, our expert on games. 
Rick Suey. Secure the rigging and raise the anchor. It's time to prepare the stalwart English Navy and set sail with Francis Drake for loot and plunder among the mighty Spanish main. So what's new with Griffin and Eagle Games? The newest thing that we're involved in right now on the Kickstarter project level is a game called Francis Drake. Francis Drake is a very historically well done. So you are basically emulating the feats of uh, the privateer Francis Drake, who, of course, went from perhaps starting as a pirate to earning Queen Elizabeth's favor. But the game itself is set just before he became Sir Francis Drake. And you do three voyages to the uh, Caribbean, and you have different possibilities along the course of that voyage. But before you embark on any of those three voyages, you have to walk down the main street of Plymouth Harbor, where they launched from, and you have to provision your ships. So you have various possibilities to pick up different provisions. At the same time, your opponents, who are fellow emulators of Francis Drake, are going to do the same thing. You have to assemble crew. You have to get together your arms in the form of cannons, and you have to decide whether or not you're going to upgrade your boat to a slightly bigger boat that can take on galleons. And uh, you need to... Set aside your stores, your supplies, in order to be able to determine how long a voyage you can go on. So it's not just a game about pirates, though? Not just a game about pirates, no. You have to do a lot of thinking and planning, just as Drake did, before you get a chance to embark on those voyages. And that brings me to my second question. Are you trying to be tricky and teach people about history, or do you have some sort of subversive educational goal with these very wonderfully complicated games. Sure. I mean, our agenda in all of this is to try and make learning fun. We, we call it history in a box as well. But what we're trying to do is create games that teach you without you knowing it. So, oh, okay. yeah, we'll keep that a secret between us, though. We don't want that publicized. Back in my day, it seems as though grown-ups played cards and children played board games, but it seems now it's trending towards grown-ups also playing board games. Do you see it happening the same way? More board games times a factor of probably 10. I have a feeling I have a few years on you, but growing up in the 50s and 60s, there you could count on probably two hands the number of board games, and that's a bit of an exaggeration, but there still weren't too many to choose from. These days, you have to have a whole army of hands to count the number of board games that are good board games, too. Not just roll the dice, move around the board. I'm not naming any names here. No, I got But uh, we're well beyond the stage where that type of game is the dominating game in the market. Wow. Lots of skill and strategy games, lots of history games, science games, math games, all around. Get ready to roll across North America in those steam-spewing iron horses and the fast-moving Railways Express. What's new? Like What's coming down the pike next? Within the next two or three days is a game called Railways Express, and I actually am the designer of this game. It's the first time I've ever designed it. I still am too timid to put my name on the box front, so it's in small letters on the box back. But we do a series of games called uh, Railways of the World, and this is in that same realm, basically, but it's but it's a little different. So it's actually meant to be approachable by seven- and eight-year-olds right straight through gamers who take the games very seriously. 
And this is a chance for parents who are playing the daddy game, which is called Railways of the World. We have about six expansions for that game. It's a chance for parents who like that game series to teach their kids and introduce their kids to a game that resembles the larger games. It's a big board. It's a map of the United States. It's got lots of good detail, both of states and rivers and mountain chains. It's a very accurate map. So you get to learn some geography. You get to learn some of the names of some of the cities. You get to connect track to those cities. It's a dice rolling game, and you match up the dice, and you know what kind of terrain you can go over, and you know what kind of track you can build, curves and straights, and you're trying to build the best track you can to connect four cities of your color and win the game. Oh, okay, cool. I like that. Yeah, and that's one you and I had a discussion before about sometimes rules are tough, and they are. Right. This is a game with simpler rules and a lot of fun. We just got a chance to play it a bunch of times last week with new games players, and I think everybody universally had a terrific time with it. So that's one that I'm going to send you, and I'll have you start with that one because it's got (laughs) much easier rules to to Wrap your mind Are you around. Trying it? to dumb things down for me or something? No, no, no. I don't mean to imply. That. No, I appreciate it. I appreciate it. I, hey, I'm a late bloomer. I'm a. I, I said that on the last show. I'm a late bloomer, so I can. I mean, I said that on the previous show, so I understand that. It's <laughs> great. That's great. I'm sure there was no malice in it. You know, I say that all the time. But, you know, they're like, w- w- "Was that an insult?" I said, "There's no malice in it. How could it be an insult?" <laughs> Absolutely not. (laughs) (laughs) All right, all right, all right. right. Rick Seward, thanks for coming back on the crib and, you know, being our correspondent for the gaming world. I really need this advice at times. I need for people to just break it down to me in layman's terms. So I appreciate it. Well, this is lots of fun. And I want you to keep playing games. And obviously, I want you to keep talking about it because that's how people find out about it. And we'll sneak up on them and educate them whether they know it or not. Thanks for coming on the show. (laughs) You bet. Take care, man. Was it rage or relief or garish grief, callous and coarse and kind? An eye for an eye for an eye, I suppose, and soon we'll all be blind. Hi, I'm Joe Castle. And I'm Thomas Matera. And this summer we're going to be filming a documentary in Peru. Why are you guys documentary filmmakers? It started off as an independent research project for our school and we thought we were going to present at this national competition and the competition fell through but Joe and I still wanted to do it and so we met with a professor and we started talking about environmental security issues in Latin America and then we realized what better way to get more hands-on information than going to Peru going to some case study of a country and learn more speak with people hands-on but what happened was we went to every single department at our school at Boston College every center and it seemed like all the funds were dry. All the wells of money were dry. And then what? I mean, we, we ran into the uh, film department. We originally were going to write a paper of some sort and present it, but then we just realized that's not... People in the broader community don't read academic papers that are, you know, 150 pages long. Um, and we really wanted to reach a broader audience and to share what we've been learning. So one of our friends mentioned, well, why not make a documentary? And we have several good friends who are film studies majors or who have graduated with a degree in film studies. So we just, we thought that seemed like a really great idea and a a way to reach a lot of different people and just educate them about this really important issue. Why don't you tell me about the blood red gold? (laughs) All right. Well, first of all, that's more of like a, um, a working title, if you will. (laughs) 
our filmmaker Ben Heider, his cousin, wrote a song that inspired that title, and we really wanted to promote his music as we, you know, worked on our campaign as well. While we want to be very unbiased in our actual documentary, so it probably won't have as political a title as Blood Red Gold, there has been a lot of conflict regarding mining, co- mining gold and Peru. And Peru. Yeah. So um, in the past five years alone, social movements have increased by 300%. Hundreds of people have been injured. Nearly 100 have been killed in clashes between police and protesters about these mines. So it's a really contentious issue. There's been blood spilled over it. But, you know, people really care a lot. Their lives are at stake here. Their livelihoods are at stake communities, their friends, families. Is this documentary in essence about conflict resolution? You know what? I think its ultimate goal is, but I think it's primarily an educational tool. On the one hand, while we want to educate people about this really important issue, it also is a conflict resolution documentary in terms of we want to promote a new way of looking at this issue. Very often it's cast in black and white terms, so it's either you're like, pro-environmentalist or you're uh, pro-development, and it's very one or the other. You can only have development or you can only protect the environment. But really, to neglect either of those things is detrimental to the lives of the Peruvian people and to people in general. And you can't just ignore environmental concerns like the use of mercury in mining, which poisons the food chain and, and the food that people eat. But at the same time, you can't just leave all of that gold sitting in the ground because Peru is extremely poor, and they really, really need that money to create social programs and to help the people who are just in in devastating poverty. So in those terms, we really want to push for a new kind of dialogue in, in resolving this conflict and try and see the issue in a new light and show that there are valid concerns on both sides of the debate. And how do you reach a consensus? Is this issue personal for you? Are you Peruvian? I'm not. Um, I actually have an aunt who's Peruvian. and uh, No, I'm, I'm neither Peruvian, but I do have a family in South America. But I think just Joe and I are both very concerned with environmental justice, justice in general, social issues. You know, if we can do something about it, if we can make people more educated, people more conscious about it, then I think right. we're happy and we're, we're excited to do it for everyone as well. How has the Kickstarter community responded? Have they been helpful? Have they given you ideas? It's actually been incredible, yeah. and it like warms my heart and Joe's heart. I mean, people have reached out saying how much they love this issue, how happy they are that fi- someone's finally doing it. We've had a member of the Peace Corps in Peru reach out to us saying how awesome this is, how necessary this video is. We've had... A Peruvian, had, yeah. Yeah, Peruvians. We've had several Peruvians actually through Kickstarter message us and say this is awesome, this needs to happen, people need to know about this, what can I do to help? We've had an MFA from Columbia reach out and tell us that she wants to join and help write a narrative and write a script and, you know, promote our video. I mean, we have people, it's it's incredible, it's it's, it's a community, it really is, people reaching out to complete strangers. Okay, you guys are still in college, but let's say you're wise beyond your years and all of that, right? Do you guys know how to work with these type of problems? Are you help or are you confusion when you go there? I know, obviously, we're like shining eyed, going to be newly graduated from college, you know, ready to save the world. And and we know it's not always as easy as that. If there's one thing I've learned, one of the most important things you can do for people is to listen to their stories and share them. So for me, I do. I think we are going to change it. It might not be on a grand sweeping scale. I hope our film has big impacts in, in the U.S. and abroad. 
But I think even if we only have, you know, the people on Kickstarter and then our family members watch the documentary, I think we're still going to have made a very important change. Yeah, and I just think approaching these challenges with a, a degree of humility of, like, telling these people, we don't know completely, but we want to learn. And also let these communities know that, yes, we are from the first world, yes, we are from a developed nation, but we also care. We, we truly care, and we want them to know that they're not completely alienated in this and that there are people who are out there who are looking to make connections with them. I hope that you guys can keep your positive outlook and that you can, I don't want to sound corny, but do some good and try not to do any harm. And I, I wish you guys the best. Thanks for coming on The Crib. Thank you so much. Thank, Thank you so much for having, having us. us. I spoke with Caitlin, one half of the Shook Twins. This talented duo is raising money to take their music career to the next level. Recording an album with Grammy-nominated producer Ryan Hadlock. say welcome to the show. Thank you. Well, how did you guys become singers? Well, we've always been singers, really. We just came out of the womb singing together. Actually, part of our Kickstarter video is us singing when we're five. It's really cute. And bad, but cute. So yeah, we just always loved to sing, so we started choir when we were in fifth grade and went all the way through college with choir and so yeah, it's just always been what I wanted to do. Uh, uh, I know with Mr. Baby was sometimes hard, but when we get it another try, nothing compares, nothing compares to you. Great, great. Thank you. This loving for what are your influences? I mean, we've been really influenced by Feist and Bon Iver and, you know, all the not-so-underground folk artists that are just kind of making a great sound. Edward Sharp and Magnetic Zeros. We love that whole, like, um, big, vintage nostalgic, just good-feeling sound. Growing up, we listened to a lot of The Beatles, you know, Joni Mitchell right. and Bjork. Well, on your Kickstarter, you talk about the next big step. So what is the next big step for your band? Hopefully finding a label that wants to release this album with us. You know, we're probably going to go for just independent, huge major labels don't sound all that appealing to me right now. Right. Just somebody that wants to join our team as a, you know, be a family and be really open and cool about it and help us get the record out farther than we can ourselves. Lori and I have always had like really blessed lives and we're really grateful for that and we try to just put that through in our music so we can kind of just spread just like really light energy to anybody who's having a tough time or anything we can listen to the music and just feel uplifted a little bit and it sounds a little cheesy but and it's not like we're not singing about like you know rainbows and unicorns or anything <laughs> but it's just like a a good feeling sound that we're trying to just spread that freedom, freedom. 
Okay, you're talking about the next big step. You hooked up with the Grammy-nominated producer. You have this Kickstarter bringing you exposure and hopefully financial backing. How great is it to be an independent musician? Or is it great at all? That's totally great. I think we could totally do this without a label at all. A label to me would just be like a little, like a, just a comforting, feels really great because we're free and we're definitely lucrative and we're doing just fine without it. But a label would just make it feel a little more solid, you know, like we're like, okay, we're legit now, you know, somebody's backing us up. Right. That's all it would be to me, really, feeling-wise. But I'm happy either way, really. What's the new album all about? It's going to be super rad. <laughs> We're really pumped about it. This is day four of recording. And um, this producer, he's just really great to work with. We're really happy with all our ideas are kind of the same. And he's just really getting some really good ideas. Right now, we're just working on, like, the foundation, like, the bass tracks, and bass and drums and, and electric guitar and stuff. And we've never had drums or electric guitar on any of our, our other albums. So it's a totally different sound already just because of that. And like walking. It's awesome. Well, Caitlin, thanks for coming on the show and representing your sister and your band, Shook Twins. You have a Kickstarter going on right now, and I'd like everybody to check it out. The music's pretty impressive, and they're working with a Grammy-nominated producer, and thanks for coming on the show. Thanks for having me. Kevin is a weak, sad type of person. Kevin used to have potential. His shrewish girlfriend is... I'd like to welcome Eli Godfrey from Glendale, Arizona. He has a new web series that he's putting together called Fork in the Socket. He's the main writer and the main participant. He's the actor. The series is about a guy named Kevin. Tell me about Kevin. What's his problem? Kevin is kind of lazy, to tell the truth, and he sort of is blaming all of his problems in life on his boss and his girlfriend. His career is not going well, his relationship is not going well, and he can't seem to take responsibility for those things. He wants to make other people happy, but he doesn't work to make himself happy, which is what would make those other people happy. Is this why he gets a life coach? He sort of runs into the life coach when he's down in the dumps and just sort of coincidentally bumps into him. And at first, he doesn't really want anything to do with the guy because he's kind of weird. But later on, he, he figures, well, I don't have anything to lose. Why don't I give this a shot? And you're a comedian, right? The director's a comedian. Oh, okay, gotcha. So I wanted to do something funny. I wanted to write a comedy. And a lot of young people do a comedy where it's two guys sitting around talking, which is usually based on themselves and their best friend. And it's a good starting point, but I like stories where more things are happening. There's something going on, and there's a plot, and there's a character who changes from the beginning to the end of the story. One thing I'm really certain about is that your character should not be the same person at the end of the story as he or she was at the beginning. So I couldn't do a comedy that was just two people sitting around talking. I wanted... A plot. So I started thinking about my best friend and how weird he is, and and that's I guess where the whole life coach thing came in. And then 
everything kind of started falling into place. Well, I watched your pilot on Kickstarter. It's a hilarious story, you know. I mean, so I see what you see. There's plenty of room for plot development there. And you seem to have all the characters staked out. You know, there are like five or six of them. So I see you finished your Kickstarter and you have about 79 backers for your series. Is there anything you'd like to say to them? You know, we were just overwhelmed by the generosity of people. There were a few names we didn't recognize who I really want to reach out to and say, wow, thank you so much. And then, of course, there are people that were very close to us who kicked in. And we're just, you're never sure going into something like this. We didn't know if we would succeed or not. And we were very, very grateful that we did. And we're very grateful that 79 people believed in us, that it wasn't just, you know, a handful of people giving us a lot of money. It was a lot of people giving us moderate donations, which I think is what Kickstarter is really all about. Advice for anyone who may be wishing to do what you did, you know, to raise money for their own web series? Reach out to your network. You know, especially in the beginning, we blasted it out on our Facebook pages and got very little response from that in the first two weeks. But what we got a big response from was approaching people one-on-one and just kind of telling them, what we were doing, why we believed in ourselves, and trying to get them to believe in us. And more often than not, they did. The first day, I I reached out to about 20 people, and I think 14 of those people ended up backing us. I saw that you had an update video, and I think the update video probably helped your program a lot because it seemed to flesh out some of the characters and stuff, gave people background. A lot of people didn't watch the update video right away, which surprised us but eventually we ended up that more people actually watched the update video than the original video so yeah i think it took a little while to build momentum but it it definitely got us somewhere hey what's up i'm ryan gomont and uh, i'm directing this comedy web series and as you can tell our 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 main character kevin he's got a couple issues how's that ryan gomont guy as a director is he like a total jerk or something like that he's a really funny guy he's got a really good positive attitude and I really like the way he works with actors and I like that he's a stand-up who also has a film and theater background so so I think he he understands the film stuff and yes sir he also understands how to make people laugh because he's used to standing on stage and being the sole person responsible for making a room full of other people laugh hey those are great qualities man I appreciate him now somehow and I don't even know him Well, I I didn't know him before this project. I I put some feelers out there for who I was looking for, and I described this person, this impossible ideal that I was looking for, and it turned out that I found someone who fit every one of the qualities I was looking for. So I'm really lucky to have found him. What is your vision for this series, like, say, a year from now? I would really like to gain a fan base. I would like to see people watch it and laugh and tell their friend, hey, you got to see this. you gotta, you got to check this out. It's a good story, and it's funny. Like I said, I watched the trailer. I think it's very funny. I think you have all the possibilities there, all the angles covered for having a very good series. So when it's up, send me a link. Let me check it out. I want to thank you for coming on the show. Thank you so much for having me. Laramie Taylor. I am 
writing, drawing, toning, and lettering a book called A Voice in the Dark, which I am currently shopping around to publishers, hoping to get it picked up. Laramie, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. Tell me about this new or part two comic book series, In the Dark. The first Kickstarter was done as a submission package, basically. It was to help me put together the first issue to send publishers, shop it around like a pilot for a TV show. Right. And because of the overwhelming response that it got, I ended up making it a three-issue miniseries so that I could show publishers that I could do an entire storyline from start to finish in one run and that I could do multiple issues by myself and complete it and get it out on time. And so this is to continue that series that I started and to put together the next run of stories the next storyline I have planned is a five-issue storyline, to where the last one was three, and it continues where the last one left off. Now, tell me about these dark stories that you pin. Follows a character named Zoe Ahrens, who is a freshman in college, just moved away from home to go to school at a private women's school in California. Uh, she's from Seattle and has left home to go to this all-women's college, big prestigious school, and is running away from the fact that, unbeknownst to anybody else, she killed somebody over the summer before going away yeah. to school. And so she's trying to deal with that and what pushed her to do it. She's always had these urges since her earliest childhood memories and has never acted on them uh, until just recently. And now that she has, she's having a hard time separating out fantasy from reality and she keeps having these more and more vivid daydreams of doing things that mm. she doesn't want to do and doesn't want to do it again and is starting to lose control and is worried that she's losing her sanity. I saw that you had a quote in your Kickstarter video where you talked about evil. Is it born or is it learned? One of the things I'm exploring with this is does she have these urges because she was just born that way or is it something you know that is environmental, or is it learned behavior? Because with this character, she didn't witness any violence as a child. She wasn't abused. She had a right. normal childhood. She you know, didn't see anything or wasn't subject to anything bad. It's just something that's always been there. What if it is something that you're just born a certain way, and how do you control that, and what what does that mean about you? Are you therefore a monster or can you learn to control it? Can you be better than your base nature? Is it something you can overcome? You spoke about your disability and I'm calling it your technique of drawing with your mouth. How long have you been drawing like that? When I was in a preschool for disabled kids as a very small child, they tried putting the pencil in my hand and getting me to write and draw with my hand, and I just couldn't. I didn't have the control over my fingers. I couldn't move my hand very much. And so finally, after months and months of struggling to get me to do it that way, they said, all right, let him put it in his mouth and see what happens. And I wrote the entire alphabet in one shot. Right. They went, okay, he's doing it that way from now on. <laughs> so ever since then, I've been using my mouth to write or draw. I was trained by my junior high art school teacher to be a caricature artist and have been doing that ever since junior high, high school years, okay. doing it at weddings and at festivals and graduations and things like that. Right. And so I'm now kind of shifting from caricature to comics 
and you know, trying to do visual storytelling and it's a new medium to learn, you know, with new rules and I'm having to draw more than just faces, you know, as a caricature artist, you mostly draw heads and then cartoon little bodies. Right. So I'm having to, learn to draw backgrounds and vehicles and buildings and scenery and the body as it normally is and you know, not the stylized cartoon versions. And so it's, it's a different style of art for me to learn, but it's something I think I'm picking up pretty quick. What would you like to say to your backers? You know, I will never really be able to truly thank them for what they've done for me because it's just, they have literally changed my life. And with this getting picked up by a publisher, if I can start to actually make a living at this, even just a modest day job living, that would be a huge improvement for me right now because I do live so far below the poverty line, it's not funny. And so having the income of just a regular nine to five job would be a big change in my life. And I owe it to them. Laramie, thank you for dropping by the crib and giving us a chance to interview you. And I want everybody out there to check out his Kickstarter. It is called Voices in the Dark Volume 2 Killing Game by Laramie Taylor. Thanks for coming on the show. Thank you. Hello, good morning. You are welcome to Ghana, the art market. This is where local things are produced for Ghana. So before, I would like you to take a walk with me so you see what we have in the market, like what we do, what they sell, what they create, and whatever. I want to so, welcome Emily Kern into the show. She is the creator behind the Kickstarter project. Darka, the empowerment project, and there's some very colorful designs. There are handbags, there's shoes, all sorts of things, and I believe they're imported. So, you know, sometimes that makes it even more special when you hear the word import, even though everything's made in China. But these aren't made in China, these are made in Ghana, West Africa. Emily, welcome to the show. Thank you very much. Okay. Now, why don't you tell me your story? What are you trying to do on Kickstarter slash Etsy? I lived in Ghana, West Africa for two years and had a shop in the capital city for a portion of that time and got to meet a lot of really talented, exceptional artists there who just don't have access to the international market. And they need more recognition than they're getting. So we're teaming right. up to make a line of handbags and shoes and then also to sell the things that they're already making, which are the backpacks and the totes and mm. some of the other items on the Kickstarter site. We're mentioning a lot of places. I read your bio. I believe U.S. born, mm -hmm. college educated, Peace Corps, West Africa. But I believe I'm speaking to you from the U.S. Virgin Islands right now, or at least you're in the U.S. Virgin Islands. Is that correct? That is correct. Yes, I'm here on St. John where I have been for about nine months and then have been importing things to the island from Africa. My business partner is Ghanaian. He's still over there. So we've found that there's a market here for it. So that's where we're at right now. You're a hard person to hit because you just seem to move around like every nine months or so. <laughs> I like that aspect about you. Well, thank you. Thank you. It's been fun. 
I know that has no bearing on the interview or anything like that, but I just had to get that out there. You talk about recycled materials. So does that mean you're kind of like upcycling, as they would say? You're taking materials that may have been discarded or whatever, and you're turning them into new items to sell and distribute to other people. Yes. What happens when somebody takes their two yards of cloth and gone to a tailor or a seamstress, they get measured, they get a shirt made or a dress made or whatever, and then there's some leftover material. And so what we're doing is gathering up that material and throwing it into its own two-yard piece of fabric that then can be used to make products. So nothing is going to waste. Wow. You're putting all that education to use. I, I like that. Man, there's so many things about you I like, and I don't even know you. That's pretty cool. Now, Thank you very much. No problem. Full of compliments today. Doing a project like this, I'm always thinking that it has to be like someone's dream, you know, someone's calling. So I'm thinking this is your dream that you've discovered along the way. How has the Kickstarter community been receptive to your dream? Very, very receptive. I've had a lot of pledges from people that I know who have been following my time in Ghana and kind of this journey that I've been on. And then I've had a lot of responses from people that I don't know at all that have somehow come across the project and are really encouraging and have sent me messages on Kickstarter and um, a couple on Facebook just being like, hey, I saw your project. Some of them have pledged and some of them have just really given me some strong words of encouragement, which is just as valuable as a pledge. I watched a video and there are just some beautiful clothes on there and I was just struck by the colors and the patterns and all of that and, you know, Pretend I'm a novice. Okay, I am a novice. Could you describe a little bit about the culture and just all the patterns? Maybe they mean something. I don't know. Every different fabric that has been made that's currently in cycle has a particular story. And it's anywhere from an encouragement to continue working hard. So if you're really needing some extra strength that day, then you put on your shirt or your dress or your traditional cloth that gives you that extra strength. And there's also fabrics that mean I'm stronger than my enemies, nobody can touch me type of thing. So if you're really needing an extra kind of protection that day, then you put on that cloth. There's funeral cloth that has its particular meaning. So everything is very purposeful. And if you get to know those meanings, then you can know something about that person just by what they're wearing, which is really, really interesting and beautiful, a beautiful thing about their culture. Hey, I think you need to put that up on the page, you know, like your fight shirt, your celebrity shirt, (laughs) you know, your your thwart evildoers type of handbag, all of that on the page, you know, that's, that's what I'm thinking. That's a promotion page that you might have missed because I didn't see that there. I didn't even think about it until you asked me that question. So thank you. I will add that. Well, you know, DJ Grandpa is here to help. Emily, I love what you're doing, your whole empowerment project. I think that's pretty cool. And you're doing the whole global thing. So you're using several different cultures and you're twisting them and bending them and putting them all together and coming out with something. I think that's that's pretty cool. Thank you for coming on the show. Well, thank you so much. I want to say welcome to Theron Kennedy and his poetry crib. So, what do you have for us this week? All right, I'm going to start it off with Drawing God with Crayons. Uh, just, uh, I guess let's just say do Drawing God with Crayons. Anyway, let my speech be right with a self-expression that penetrates, resonates, but does no harm. 
that is stealth to egos, microscopic verbs, whispers to screaming souls, undivided twilight prayers. Nurture what you need, pull ego like weeds. How can malicious lips reflect mindfulness? Intuitive heart. I accept, though, my perfect evolution. The things underground that cause me to flower, feel showers and sun alike. On the mic, I want to whisper hearts, souls, minds, give sight to the blind, only those who wish to see. Introduce I to me, you to we, all there is, let love be, free to seek its own purposes. Who am I to say what's worthless? Who am I to judge the darkness? It's like the art judging the artist, when the artist doesn't really judge the art. A spark, a breath, life where there was lifelessness. If it has the thrill to survive, yet the willingness to fade, but aren't we makers of the made in the time of our illusion, bridging nothingness through from confusion to omnipotence, from one bang or a cell, depending upon your magnification, to reality's infinite. Living things are eternity well spent. Hey, Theron, you know I wrote that, don't you? <laughs> I wrote that, right? Yeah, for sure, for sure. No, for sure. no, come on. You, come See, on, man. I told man. you I'm trying to be like you. That was ultra magnetic. I mean, you were all over the place. You were all on it. If I had a peak meter right now with the, you know, the artificial applause, I'd be turning it up right now. I'd be blasting it. <laughs> Thank you for coming on the crib this week. Hold up. What was the name of that um, selection again? That is Drawing God with Crayons. Oh, I've marked all over my computer. It's over. It's over. <laughs> In this week a special note, we're voting for one of our former awesome musical guests, Soul Pie, in a battle of the bands. I'd love for you to support them too. For the link, go to djgrandpa.com and rock the vote. Was it a cold day? Just the shoulder that she gave. I thought it was hopeful, but I quickly thoughts can change. Well, I ain't I'd like to thank all our guests this week, and a special thanks goes out to Trevor Williams for contributing the theme song to DJ Grandpa's Crib. I'd also like to thank Theron Kennedy, our Director of Marketing. Until next week, so say we all. The homepage for DJ Grandpa's Crib is djgrandpa.com. You can follow us on Facebook and Twitter, DJ Grandpa's Crib, all one word. Please subscribe to our podcast in iTunes, which helps other people discover the show. And don't forget to leave a comment while you're there. Our producer is Von Rupert. The executive producer of this and all Bedrock Communications podcast is A.F. Rufus. 